0: I followed Drake in silence until we had left Chenny Lane in the gloom behind us. At the entrance to the square, my companion called a cab, and from there on we rode slowly through a heavy darkness which was blanketed by a wet, penetrating fog. The cabby, evidently one who knew my companion by sight, and what London cabby does not know his Scotland Yard men, chose a route that twisted through gloomy, uninhabited side streets seldom winding into the main route of traffic. As for Drake, he sank back in the uncomfortable seat and made no attempt at conversation. For the entire first part of our journey he said nothing. Not until we had reached a black, unlighted section of the city did he turn to me. Dale, he said at length, Have you ever hunted tiger? I looked at him and laughed. "'Why?' I replied. "'Do you expect this hunt of ours will be something of a blind chase?' "'It will be a blind chase, no doubt of it,' he said. "'And when we have followed the trail to its end, "'I imagine we shall find something very like a tiger to deal with. "'I have looked rather deeply into Michael Strange's life "'and unearthed the bit of the man's character. "'He has twice been accused of murder.' Murder by hypnotism. And has twice cleared himself by throwing scientific explanations at the police. That is the nature of his entire history for the past ten years. I nodded without replying. As Drake turned away from me again, our cab poked its laboring nose into a narrowing, gloomy street. I had a glimpse of a single, unsteady street lamp on the corner. In a dim sign, "Mate." lane, and then we were dragging along the curb. The cab stopped with a groan. I had stepped down and was standing by the cab door when suddenly from the darkness in front of me a strange figure advanced to my side. He glanced at me intently, then seeing that I was evidently not the man he sought, he turned to Drake. I heard a whispered greeting in an undertone of conversation. Then, quietly, Drake stepped toward me. "'Dale,' he said, "'I thought it best that I should not show myself here tonight. No, there is no time for explanation now. You will understand later, perhaps significantly sooner than you anticipate. Inspector Hartnett will go through the rest of this pantomime with you.' I shook hands with Drake's man, still rather bewildered at the sudden substitution— then, before I was aware of it, Drake had vanished and the cab was gone. We were alone, Hartnett and I, in Mate Lane. The home of Michael Strange, number 7, was hardly inviting. No light was in evidence. The big house stood like a huge, unadorned vault set back from the street some distance from its adjoining buildings. The heavy steps echoed to our footbeats as we mounted them in the darkness and the sound of the bell, as Hartnett pressed it, came sharply to us from the silence of the interior. We stood there waiting. In a short interval, before the door opened, Hartnett glanced at his watch. It was nearly ten o'clock, and said to me, I imagine, doctor, we shall meet a blank wall. Let me do the talking, please. That was all. In another moment the big door was pulled slowly open from the inside, and in the entrance glaring out at us stood the man we had come to see. It is not hard to remember that first impression of Michael Strange. He was a huge man, gaunt and haggard, molded with the hunched shoulders and heavy arms of a gorilla. His face seemed to be unconsciously twisted into a snarl. His greeting, which came only after he had stared at us intently for nearly a minute, was curt and rasping. "Well, gentlemen, what is it? I should like a word with Dr. Michael Strange, said my companion quietly. I'm Michael Strange. And I, replied Hartnett, with a suggestion of a smile, am Raoul Hartnett from Scotland Yard. I did not see any sign of emotion on Strange's face. He stepped back in silence to allow us to enter.